For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, heaters. Welcome to a slightly belated episode of Half Street High Heat. Um, We all had some crazy life stuff happening last week, so sorry we didn't get you guys an episode. But thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you listening. I am Amanda, and I'm joined by my Abisadarius co-hosts, Ryan, whom you can find on Twitter at We Are All Shack, and Tyler, who's filling in for Nick tonight. You can find him on Twitter at non-rosterinvite. Please be sure to find all of us there. And also don't forget to follow the show, if you don't already, at Half Street High Heat. That's half S-T high heat. And of course, the website at the same address, halfsthighheat.com, which is updated regularly with tons of outtakes from the podcast, fantastic articles, and lots more. And one more plug, don't forget to visit the YouTube channel where Trey is killing it as always. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Uh, not Did you too both bad. have yourselves muted just now? Was... Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but doing good. Um, finally, just finished the semester and. Uh, oh, congrats! To, yeah, about to graduate on Saturday, so a lot, a lot of life stuff's wow. been going on uh, recently. Big, but big deal! Congratulations! That's awesome. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no. So just been a bit busy, but other than that, doing pretty good. Um, the Nats, on the other hand, are not. <laughs> Yeah, better than the Nats, like, which is an admittedly <laughs> low bar. The floor, one Mr. Nick might say. What about you, Ryan? What's new? I don't even remember the last time we did one of these. I know, it's been a while. It's, it's been a while. I miss hearing your big words. I don't understand what they mean. So that's fun that they're back. You know, life's good. Life's happening. Um, I'm an absolute rock in slow-pitch softball. I'm pulling up Aaron Judge numbers out there. Just absolutely unreal. Our team's in first place. We are 6-0, and by the way. Rained out tonight, though. Gorgeous night. But now playing softball, that stinks. But, yeah, you know, just doing better than the Nats. Well, I guess we'll just be grateful that your game got rained out so you got to do the podcast with us. Otherwise, you would not be here. Out there, Aaron, judging it up. Just nothing but dingers. (laughs) Well, speaking of dingers, that's a perfect segue into this 
episodes quick pitch um a couple of episodes ago we taught we did our quick pitch on whether or not we preferred the deadened balls or the juice balls so this is kind of tangentially related to that um is the lower offense that we're seeing this year good or bad for baseball and if they keep using the balls they're using is that here to stay i think there's a lot of factors going on we've seen an unusually cold spring throughout the entire country um, there's been a lot of very, very cold 40 degree, 50 degree games. There's been a lot of bad weather that leads to less offense as well. The ball is playing a factor as well. Um, but I, I don't think the dead end baseballs are truly that bad. Like offense is going to start ticking up. Um, the Astros have had seven home runs and through the first four innings since the Red Sox today, as the weather gets warmer, even with these dead end baseballs, offense is going to pick back up, but I don't think it's a bad thing, you know, before baseball just became a three true outcome game, home run, walk, strikeout, basically yeah. every at bat. Now we'll finally get more, you know, guys are hitting singles, guys are hitting doubles, like Cesar Hernandez, like third in baseball and hits randomly, but there's more outcomes, which is good. The runs in the offensive production will go up as you know, we're mid May right now. Things are finally starting to heat up temperature wise that help offense as well. But I actually don't think the den balls are that big of a deal. I think people kind of need to stop complaining. You think that's not the biggest factor? Because I looked up some numbers here. It says the lowest ever for an entire season batting average against was 237. And that was the, the year of the pitcher in 1968. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of years, especially when they had the baseballs juiced, where offense was kind of crazy right now through April. So these numbers have changed a little bit as we've gotten into May, but through the end of April, they were at 231 um, batting average across the league. So it's it's definitely, I think the cold weather is certainly a factor. You always see lower numbers early in the season. And even in the fall, when the weather cools off again, it's still more humid in the fall than it is in the spring. But I also think that the, um, you know, the, the labor dispute that kept everybody away from the teams and away from, you know, their batting cages, and I'm sure they were doing their own practice, but it's not the same as working with your team and your, your trainers probably is playing a pretty big, factor in it as well what do you think Tyler yeah I mean I agree with both you guys um I was actually about to make that same point Amanda um with the lockout and everything um hitters didn't have as much time you know to get their timing by the time the season started um you know even professional hitters they need this time you know to get their swings right get their timing down and I, I think that was more of a reason we were seeing a lot of slow starts than the dead ball but like, like Ryan was saying, I don't think it's necessarily like the dead ball that's the problem. I think it's more of the lack of consistency between seasons with the ball. Because in 2019, everybody was complaining about the juice ball. Now everybody's complaining about the dead ball. So I think yeah, it's just really stick just, with what you're doing. Yeah, so everybody exactly. can get used to it. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to, you know, get more launch angle because the balls are juiced and then suddenly the balls are dead and these are all dying on the track, it's not really fair to the hitters. Right. Yeah. No. And like the the theories, the rumors, whether it's been proven or not, that they're using different balls for like Friday night series or Sunday night baseball. I just think like you know, like I was saying before, it was it's really just the lack of consistency in the mm -hmm. ball rather than it's oh it's the juiced ball, it's the dead ball. Yeah, and they've invited that kind of speculation by continuing to screw around with it while pretending they aren't. Yeah, I will say the though, players, from, yeah, the players have made comments. I think, um, I think it was Pete Alonso that said straight up that MLB doctors the ball year in and year out. Yeah, and he's not wrong. They have said in this year that everything is exactly the same. It's all the post twenty twenty one manufacturing, but you know nobody believes them because they've been full of crap for years. So, well, technically, 
wouldn't be wrong because they went back to the dead and balls for the playoffs in 2021. Mm-hmm. So they're technically not wrong with that. But they did say in 2021 True. season, they because of the, the supply chain issues they had with the pandemic stuff, that they had to use a combination of the balls from 2020 and the balls from 2021. So they were different. So you just never knew what you were going to get. So, what? you know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. And I will say though, for me, at least I am surprised a little bit by the lower offense. I, I even given all the factors we've just discussed with the, the DH for the first time, it, it, I expected there to be a little bit more offense and also the crackdown on sticky stuff. You know, I thought, okay, we're going to see a little bit of a, you know, a turnaround where there's the pitchers aren't quite as dominant and hitters are going to be able to, you know, hit a little better. And, and maybe that will prove to be true when we look at these averages over the course of this whole season. But right now I'm a little bit surprised. Sorry. I was looking something up, but yeah, I mean, the numbers are going to correct themselves. That's kind of just how things work and it's going to happen over the dog days of summer. It's really interesting. Tyler, you mentioned it. They're a hundred percent using different balls for primetime games. You you can't change my mind. I know it's conspiracy, but it's a conspiracy. I am a hundred percent. Oh yeah. They definitely Plus, we love conspiracy theories. So Oh, who doesn't? They're fun. It's like no brainer <laughs> for them to change the balls for Friday night games and other nationally televised games for more offense and more views. Just makes me so upset. The fact that they've been screwing with it at all really pisses me off because one of the most fantastic things about baseball, one of the things I love the most is being able to go back. Obviously, eras change over long periods of time, but being able to go back reasonably long periods of time and compare players and talk about you know, oh, there's the recency bias and everybody thinks this guy's the greatest. But if you go back and look at this guy's numbers, you you can't really do that when they keep changing the ball because it's not it's not a fair comparison, especially when they're not telling you when they're changing the ball. And you, you have to just kind of speculate. And I don't know. I think it sucks. And it it, it kind of ruins the integrity of the game and the integrity of the, the stats and the records, which is one of the things that baseball nerds like ourselves and anyone who's listening to this podcast really enjoy about the sport. Agreed. All right, let's move on. Ryan, I am so looking forward to the weekend review. You said you missed my large, un- understandable words. I miss the weekend review when I don't get to have it regularly. So hit us. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and we got a lot to talk about as it was a very exciting first month for the 2022 season. Baseball runs through New York and LA. For the first time in MLB history, all four New York and L.A. teams are in first place for their respective divisions. Mets were the first team to 20 wins, but the Yankees have surmounted themselves as the best team in baseball. They have a four-game lead over everyone else. Yankees team WRC Plus is 127. That's the highest team WRC Plus to 30-plus games since 1886. Yankees offense is cooking, and so is their pitching as their top five in most stats. Angels have the first solo no-hitter of the season and rookie Detmers. Angels off to a hot start, and most of their best hitters haven't even clicked yet. The Astros are now on their tail after they've won 12 of 13. After being the excuse me, after blowing out the Red Sox, that'll be 13 of 14. Dodgers team ERA was 2.06 through 26 games. That was the lowest team ERA through the first month since the 1978. Seven teams are on pace to win 100 games through the first month. All of them are in the top 10 payroll, except the Brewers. Five teams are on pace to lose over 100 games. Red Sox are the only one that's in the top 15 of league payroll. The Cincinnati Reds threw a no-hitter. Only issues, they lost. The Pirates are now the 16th, 16th team ever to record no hits in a game and 
win. Matt Harvey is suspended 60 games for his role in dis- distributing a banned substances. To the least, in last place are the 12 and 15 Nats. Talk about them in a second. In fourth place are the 16 and 20 Braves, who are struggling early on once again. They lost 2 3 to the San Diego Padres. They lost the first game to the Brewers because of a pass ball and lost 1 0. They had the easiest schedule in baseball through the first month, and they're four games under 500. So their schedule can only get harder. In third place are the 16 and 19 Marlins, after being above 500 for the first time in ages. They're back below. And they're four and six in the last 10. They lost back-to-back series. But thankfully for them, they play the Nationals. And we need to ride a ship. You play the Nats. In second place are the 17 and 18 Phillies. They say a three-goal lead is the most dangerous lead in hockey. Well, then the 7-1 lead is the most dangerous lead in baseball because the Phillies have blown two such leads in the past week. Lucky for them, they won one of them. They were a blown save away from sweeping the Dodgers in L.A. Good news is, though, their offense is cooking in a large part due to Bryce Harper, who is having yet another MVP caliber season. Philly's offensive ranks through the first month, first in slugging in OPS, second most runs in NL, and their second in batting average in the NL. They take on the San Diego Padres in San Diego. In first place are the 24 and 13 Mets. Max Scherzer does not like when people try to throw a pitch before him. They still have yet to lose a series this season, and they look to continue that play as they take on the Cardinals in San Diego. Or is it in New York? Doesn't matter. This has been your week in review. I hate that the Mets seem to be for real. It makes me so upset. Yeah, the Mets, that's that's something I I really overlooked. Um the Mets have the perfect team for the dead baseballs. And it's really annoying because they 100% lucked into it. They have a lineup of people that doesn't rely on the home run, don't strike out a lot, and they walk a decent amount. Like They have the perfect lineup for it, and so they'll have a top 10 lineup the whole season. This pitching staff is legit. They're easily winning over 90 games. Yeah. Yeah, the Mets are good. I hate to say it, but they're good. <laughs> I know. I, I really hope that they, they met at some point. But it, just, it doesn't look like it's imminent, which whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm, I keep trying to say, oh, Max Scherzer's my favorite national ever, and I'm just going to be happy for him. But it turns out I'm not, in fact, happy for him. I'm yeah, a petty, I, petty, petty woman, apparently. The Mets, like, I mean, I think this is the most, like, complete Mets team that they've had in a while, though. I mean, their lineup, like, I wouldn't say is as impressive as some other teams, but it gets the job done. Um, They've been actually giving their pitchers run support, which has been a huge problem in the past. As we know, DeGrom, you know, had like a 1.5 ERA, but was like seven and seven that one year or whatever it was. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, as long as the Mets don't start metting, which, you know, as we know is always a possibility. Yeah. I just Uh, want somebody to punch somebody in the face and the whole thing to go up in flames. Yeah. I I really do think though, if the Mets make the playoffs that they're probably going to have a pretty deep October run just with their pitching. And um, yeah, they just seem built for it this year. They, they have a top five pitching staff without Jacob, without DeGrom. (laughs) That's what's insane. Like if he comes back, like you do not want to face that rotation all because you were losing. There's just no way you're winning a short series against that rotation or a seven no. game series either. Yeah. Or probably any series at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that takes us to the first series we're going to talk about since we haven't had an episode in a little while, we're going to go back to the Mets series. Um, it w- wasn't pretty. 
it wasn't <laughs> um the the Nats did manage to win one game which seems to be their mo right now they they take one game of a series um they lost the first game which was a four two loss it was uh Edwards Jr. took the loss. That's one of the things I want to talk about about this game. He has a 27 ERA following that performance. That was exciting. Um, it was a pretty good start from Corbin, who issued four walks, but got out of it with no runs. Um, did you guys, what were your thoughts on, I guess that's game one I'm talking about specifically, but what are your thoughts on either that game or the series in general? Yeah, that was that was pretty good to see from Corbin. You mentioned the four walks, but most importantly, he was finally getting swings and misses. He had 40 swings and he got 11 whiffs. There's been plenty of times when we've done these episodes and we're like, oh, Patrick Corbin had three swings and misses in five innings. Was finally missing bats. You know, he got guys found off pitches. His velocity was down a little bit. I'm mean, sorry, excuse me. It was up on most of his pitches. He got swing and misses. That was probably the best thing to see and that was really really encouraging unfortunately um the pitching staff stinks from top to bottom not really sure why carl edwards jr is up he did get five whiffs but he got teed off on and everything went to shit so that's Mm -hmm. okay um because i want the first pick but yeah i mean this was just (laughs) the typical series you see from the nats they have that one one win where they'll score a lot of runs and people are like, wow, this team's playing better than I thought. We're a good baseball team because they scored 12 and then they'll score three runs in their next eight games combined. And they have that when they have that big come from behind win. Every series is the same right now, this team. Yeah, it is pretty uh, groundhog day-esque. What about you, Tyler? Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Corbin looked better. Um, it's been encouraging to see. Um Again, just pray he gets his value up enough where some team takes a chance on him, even if you have to eat like 75% of the contract. Um, Carl Edwards Jr. is hashtag not good. Um, you know, if you're in the Nats AAA system, not even up with the big league bullpen, you're not good. Um, yeah. He was I mean, doing pretty well at AAA. I mean, I, I he was why yeah. they thought, hey, maybe it's worth giving him a shot at the big yeah, level. I mean, see what we got, but I understand it. it didn't but go well. Yeah. I mean, th- that was pretty rough. Um, yeah. But like Ryan was saying, the Nats offense is so deceiving because they'll have that one game where they will blow out the other team and then it'll like completely juice their stats. Like, I think they still lead the league in hits. Like, which is kind of crazy for like a 12 and 26 team or whatever they are. But I mean, I, I don't know. This, this team like is like ass, but like just so weird at the same time. Like it's yeah. just like, they're not, it's weird ass game to game. Yeah. It yeah. It's very odd. <laughs> and um, this game again uh, had two throwing errors and, uh, and we'll get into that more as we talk about the last couple series, the defense is uber stinky. It's, it's <laughs> really, really bad and frustrating. Like it's one thing to see, okay, your team's not great. You're going to lose games. It's another thing to see like just little league level, bad. Oh my and, God. And bad, how, bad throwing errors in defense. How are we not talking about that incident where like Soto just ran the third on ball in front oh, of him? Just oh, we're going to talk up. about it. We're going to talk Lord. about it. That was insane. I was like, my jaw was on the ground. You know, I tweeted something, I think right after that, right after that happened, I tweeted like, oh my God, this team is so embarrassing. And somebody jumped in my uh, comments and was like, this is a shitty thing to say. And I was like, well, it was a shitty play. So I don't know. 
But yeah, somebody got mad at me on Twitter and I'm pretty vanilla on Twitter. I was like, wow, people usually yell at me on Twitter. I, I love call, when people get mad at me on Twitter. I need to call Ryan and commiserate. Get from there. So let's talk about the next game. Um, this is the next game. Game two is what, um, when they actually got a win, it was a good come from behind when they were down three Oh, um, but that <laughs> was the only bright spot of the series. Um, Sanchez had a pretty rough first inning, gave up three runs. And then, um, that was it that they gave up for the rest of the game and, uh, they scored eight. So this was a, definitely a much better performance than the previous one. So in this game, Let's see, we had Sanchez 5.1. So, you know, not a deep, not a deep start at all, but six hits, three runs, um, all earned, only one strikeout. So Sanchez is, I mean, he he kind of held it together after the first inning and, and got through four, four point one more, but it was I've not been impressed with what I'm seeing from Sanchez. Yeah, you're you're not alone there. This has kind of been like Sanchez's MO. He'll have a couple innings where he shines and you're like, okay, you no, know, this guy could be the real deal because the stuff is there. He just can't put anything together. And we're kind of seeing that. Um, we'll talk about his more recent start in a little bit. But like it's just it's just not there. The people are like, well, maybe he just doesn't have the injuries, maybe he can succeed. Well, he's healthy this year. It's not been very good. He's not getting swings and misses. He's giving up a lot of hard contact. Um, his break on his pitches isn't good. His spin rate is down a lot. His velocity is down a good amount as well. And he's missing over the hard of the plate. You miss over the hard of the plate when you're not exactly, you know, <laughs> a hard throwing pitcher, things are going to go bad. And that's what we kind of see. And fortunately for him, the offense was able to pick it back up breaks my heart to say, but Nelson Cruz hit one about 475 feet, just absolutely devastating that that happened to me and my family. Please respect my privacy about that. But yeah, that was, that was a really good one. Yes, yeah. it was. Did you watch that one or read the I, box score at least? <laughs> I was, I was, I was at my local, you know, whole foods doing whole food things and I, my phone vibrated and I was like, that's oh. weird. So I looked at it. And I just saw it and I just fell to my knees and started sobbing, punching a bag of chips in front of me. And I had to get escorted out. It was really heartbreaking. Oh, well, I am sorry for your, for your devastation. And I hope that you're doing better during this difficult time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I fell to my knees as well. Cause the Nats won a game <laughs> and I need them to lose every game this year. Um, but yeah, Sanchez, you know, for a guy that you signed to a minor league deal, I mean, you'll take 5.1 innings and three runs. Um, but like Ryan was saying, like, you can just tell, like, he's kind of all over the place. And I think he looks a little bit better than he actually is just because this rotation is dog outside of Josiah Gray. So yeah, our expectations are very, very low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he gave it, he gave it enough for the win, obviously. And then it was great to see Nelson Cruz. Um, who's been sorry, Shaq, for the trigger word right there, but um, he's been heating up a little bit, um, finally getting his back going and, you know, we need that. So we can actually get some, some like semblance of value for him at the trade deadline. Yeah. I still don't know that he's made himself trade bait yeah, <laughs> right now. It, hopefully it's a, little, a little rough, but despite yeah. Shaq's emotional difficulties with it, hopefully he continues to improve. And, uh, if for nothing else than to just give a little bit more depth to that lineup, which is about an inch deep right now. It's not good. 
Okay. So since that win was difficult for you to deal with, um, I have good news for you about game three of that series. That was a four, one loss. Um, this was a Don who had, you know, a, a pretty fun outing in LA against the angels where he retired, um, trout Otani and Rendon in order. That was pretty cool to see. Um, this performance did not echo that one. Uh, he only went 3.2 innings, gave up three hits, three earned runs, five walks on only two strikeouts. It was, it was a pretty ugly, it was a pretty ugly performance and dropped his uh, record to one in six. Um, the bullpen actually in relief wasn't bad. Only one run given up for the rest of the way. Um, Ramirez, Edwards Jr., Finnegan and Ciszek all pitched and uh, only Ciszek gave up one earned run but they still lost because the offense can't score. Yeah. Yon Adone is just not ready for the major leagues. And I'm kind of surprised that they um, have let him stay up for this long. I mean, of course, you know, we're not competing for anything this year and you can let him live and learn at the major league level. But I mean, five walks in this start, I I mean, you're just not going to be successful at the major league level if you can't locate, um, he has been doing better tonight in the Marlin start. With, uh, he had no walks tonight, which is good. But he finished his outing. I don't have the game on in front of me. Yeah, because C-Sheck was – I think he went about four innings, and he had like 2K, zero walks, something like that. But, um, yeah, I said before that they should give him a couple tune-up starts in AAA just to kind of get his command back and, you know, kind of trust in his stuff way more because his stuff is pretty good. I mean, he gets whiffs, you know, when he can actually locate. Um, It's just like he's such a young guy and he's still so raw that I really just don't feel like he's there yet for the majors. But, like, once he gets that stuff dialed in and can actually control stuff, I think he'll be a pretty good back-end starter. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And I really struggle with this that we've talked about this a lot on the show, even before the season started is do you, where's that line between playing the young guys to give them that, you know, Hey, it doesn't matter. They can struggle at the major league level and face big league hitters and, or, you know, pitchers, depending on who you're talking about, but where's that line between let the guys play at the major league level and get that experience in a, in a season where it doesn't matter what the outcome of the games turns out to be. And you don't want to ruin a guy's confidence, let him go back down to AAA and, and, get himself ready before he comes to the big league level. And I think Adon is a perfect example of that, trying to find where that line is. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously the Nats have decided to keep him up, but you know, is he a guy who would do better if you set him back down or is it better to just let him struggle here? What do you think, Tyler? Oh, sorry. Um, I mean, it's really tough to say because you're, I mean, obviously, you're like I said before, you're not a competitive team, but if he keeps going out there and just like you know, keeps walking the bases loaded or keeps getting shelled or whatever, I mean, you just can't really let him keep going through that. Um, I mean, you know, like I said before, tonight was a more positive sign, and um, I would give him another start after tonight, but I mean, it's just the consistency hasn't been there, like with someone with Josiah Gray, like he got lit up against Astros, but that was really only one inning and he's had a lot more good than bad compared to Yohan Adone. Like it's sort of that kind of situation. Yeah, it is. It's a tough one. I don't know. Like I said, I, I kind of, as a philosophical point, I always, I don't know. I feel my, I find myself 
falling on one side sometimes and on the other side other times. He is an interesting case though, because you know, you don't want him to start feeling like, okay, I can't compete at this level because he keeps having bad starts, but then he keeps having starts good enough that you think, okay, well, let's keep him. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. The good news is it doesn't matter what we think. The Nats will do what they want. So um, let's back off from talking about the Marlins series that's going on right now and go back one more series to the Astros. Um, after the Mets, that was the next one. Um, yet another bad first inning from Gray in that game. He was roughed up for five runs. It wasn't pretty. They only gave up one for the rest of the way, but a familiar story. They could only score one run. So that bad first inning turned out to be the story of the game. They couldn't dig themselves back out of that. Um, Gray did go six innings in this one, um, gave up six runs. They were all on him. Um, five strikeouts, three homers he gave up in that game. It was not a great outing for Gray. Um, and our offense was, I think, anemic is anemic is a maybe too generous way to <laughs> describe it. Um, there were some hits scattered around. Cruz had two hits on that one. Um, Ryan just stepped away for a second. So Tyler, I'll go to you again. Um, it's a good thing since we have to say nice things about Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I mean, I truly think that Josiah Gray was tipping pitches in the first inning against the Astros. I mean, it was just one after the they other. Were, it was like T-ball. Yeah, I mean, it was teeing off. I didn't see that first inning because I was away, but I just saw all the notifications come in. I was just like, oh, my God. But the fact that he was still able to go six innings after that and only gave up one solo home run after that nightmare inning is really impressive. And he completely – I mean, the line still isn't pretty, obviously, with the six earned runs, but he completely turned that start around from the first inning. He did. And he, yeah, and he was facing an elite offense, too. And, you know, he was generating – and misses after that you know first inning when they were on him and that would that's what really leads me to believe that he was tipping pitches in the first inning yeah that actually would make a lot of sense um why it was it was like a completely different game for him in the first inning and then the rest of the way he just gave up that one in the third and and zeros the rest of the way so it, again you know we've talked we've said it a million times the outcome doesn't matter the progress is what does matter and for gray i do think we're seeing that He's sitting at, I'm going to say a 4-3-4 ERA after that outing, which, you know, is not terrific. But for a young guy, you know, finding his way, I, I, I like what I've been seeing from Gray. I do feel like we're seeing incremental progress. Yeah, um, a start inflated his ERA a decent amount. But, um, you know, you just really have to look for the flash with him. And something else this year that he's been doing, taking a step forward, is he's been going deeper in the games. Mm -hmm. um, last year i think it was a lot more four inning starts like middle of middle of fifth he was exiting he's doing a lot more five inning six inning starts this year which is great to see because i think last year he was on an innings limit or something um so that might have had something to do with it but i mean it's great to see him go deeper into games and still you know have his stuff you know in the fifth inning and the sixth inning and not um, running out of gas. Cause we've seen a lot with him, you know, he'll be great through the first couple innings and then he'll hit the wall and he'll give up a couple home runs or, and start walking guys or it's, so it's really about just maintaining his stamina and just being, uh, or just going at hitters like from start to finish and just keeping like the same, uh, tone, keeping the same pace the whole time. You know, who's not going deep into games, Eric Betty. Yep. That's <laughs> the name of his game. He yes. refuses to uh, go more than like five innings. I know. Well, in this next one, which is game two of the Astros series, he went only four, 
which at this point in the season, you know, early in the season, it was kind of like, okay, they had a short spring training. They're not going to go deep, but I really feel like we're reaching the point now where it's like, okay, you're stretched out. You need to go. If you're a starting pitcher, you need to be going at least five innings, even six to me is, you know, okay, great. You went six. Like if you, if, if you can get seven or eight out of your starters once in a while, that'd be amazing. I wonder what that's like. Um, Fetty yeah, gave must up. Be nice. Must be nice. <laughs> I can't watch Max Scherzer pitch anymore. It makes me too sad. Um, he gave up five hits in four innings, three runs, all earned, um, issued three walks, but did get six strikeouts. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. Rogers actually got, um, got the win in this one. He only came in for one inning of relief, but he did get the win. Um, C-Sheck gave up four hits. He's been really terrible lately. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like he's pitches like, like every single night and it's always bad. Like he's. Yeah, he's not been great this year. But with Eric Fetty, I mean, I feel like I just say this every year about Eric Fetty. He doesn't trust his stuff enough, and that's why he just nibbles and nibbles and nibbles, and it shoots his pitch count up. And, you know, they talk about it literally every start, you know, when he's on the mound. Like, mm -hmm. oh, Eric Fetty's nibbling he's again. He's got to go uh, right out, guys. Yeah. yeah here, oh, here he goes from another 0-2 count to a 3-2 count. Like, it's, it's the same story, like, nearly every start. Like if the guy would just trust in his stuff, he would be a better pitcher. But I mean, and now it, that he's in like his 93rd year on the team, you would think yeah. by now he would, he would trust his stuff more. Yeah. I feel exactly. like he's been on the team forever. I'd have to look up when he joined the Nats, but it seems like it's been. And yeah, the beginning of the season, it looked like, you know, I think he had a pretty decent start. It looked like he was actually attacking guys, you know, earlier this year. And then recently he's just gone back to nibbling. Like I've seen him get, like, I don't think Eric Fetty's ever going to be like that big strikeout pitcher, obviously. But, you know, when he locates and attacks guys, he'll get those ground balls and he'll get those like weak flyouts. But he just doesn't trust his stuff. And then that's why, you know, he gets the walks and then um, and then he'll give up that meatball right down the middle. I, I mean, it's just it's the same thing with him. Yeah, it definitely is the same story over and over again. Uh, yet another fielding error this time on uh, Yadiel Hernandez. Just feel like I need to throw in those errors. Oh yeah, he, he can't play the outfield to save his life. At I least mean, one it every is what game. It is at this point. Yeah, it's bad. So the next game of the Astros series, game three, the rubber match, uh, was an eight nothing shutout loss. Corbin actually had a pretty good outing up until the seventh inning. Um, I really feel like I know I know we just got we just talked about how pitchers need to go deeper into games, and I guess obviously Davey feels the same way, but he had had a pretty good outing. He gave up just two in the fifth and um, one in the sixth. And then it seemed to me after he had struggled for two consecutive innings, there was no reason to trot him back out for the seventh. Uh, and he gave up four in the yeah. seventh. So yeah, this start is on Davey. Yeah. Davey left him in far too long. It was clear he was done. Everybody knew he was done except Davey. I couldn't and, believe that he put him back out for the seventh. I was uh, like, what are uh, we doing? I wasn't shocked because I've seen this movie thousands of times with Davey, but I mean, like, it, it's just the putting guys back in when they're clearly out of gas and then mm. they immediately just go to giving up runs. I mean, And I get it. He, he didn't have any pitches. He only had 86 when he came out. I mean, yeah. It wasn't like it was high pitch count, but he yeah. was obviously struggling. Oh, he was obviously faltering. Yeah. And when you're facing an, a lineup as good as the Astros, they're going to start picking up when you're, you're faltering and, and mm -hmm. they're going to start, you know, hammering you a little bit harder. So, yeah, I think, I think Corbin had a great start until those two innings, but he shouldn't even have been out there for those two innings anyway. 
Yeah, I, it would have been better to have a shorter start and have him, you know, have for me at this point, again, we, we keep talking about how the outcome doesn't matter and it really doesn't. But getting Corbin back on track, either to be a trade candidate or for the sake of this this team in you know the following seasons would be amazing. And letting him you know have a good start and then you know a decent start and then go out and just completely fall apart again is not in his best interest or the team's best interest. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, Verlander went out and got up to 107 pitches in this outing, which, you know, I guess he's pretty stretched out, um, at 39 years old. That is an awfully impressive amount of stamina. Um, he was touching 98 also, so he's got his velocity back, which is interesting to see. I can't stand the Astros, so I don't pay real close attention, but I was definitely impressed with what we saw from Verlander. He didn't go deep into the game, only five innings, but. And 107 pitches is a lot in five innings. Yeah, um, I think he had that that first inning where he he was kind of struggling with command a little bit, and then of course you know the Nats don't capitalize like they love to, and you know a veteran starter is going to lock in after that. And you got to if you don't get them early, you're not going to get them. I mean that's just how it works with guys who have been in this game for as long as Verlander has mm-hmm. and have been as good as he has for this long. I mean, but. He, he looks like, you know, vintage Verlander, and it's pretty impressive, especially, you know, like you said, at his age of 39 and coming off uh, Tommy John surgery. Yeah, for sure. He um, he is – I guess I didn't expect as much from him this year. I kind of thought he's cooked. But, you know, maybe he's not cooked. Again, 107 yeah. pitches and five the innings. The Astros lab was not going to let him get cooked. <laughs> I know exactly. Um, I did mean in the, when we talked about game two to mention Yadiel Hernandez and I forgot to, who has been just, wow, really, really good. Like, I don't know what I expected from him. I, I guess I didn't really have any expectations from him, but he's, he is hitting 330 yeah. right now. And one of the, one of the best offensive pieces on this team, which maybe says more about this team than about Yadiel Hernandez, but I do feel like he deserved a little bit of a shout out. Yeah. Yadiel has been, I mean, there's nothing really to say. I don't think any of us could have expected this, but I think the smart thing to do, the Nats will not do this, but trade Yadiel while he's still hitting like this and get a decent return for a 34 year old while you still can, because he's clearly not part of this team's future, but you know, the Nats are, are, they are plug not going to do that. Yep. You know, he's going to be the starting DH after Nelson Cruz is traded for the rest of the season and we'll probably be back next season as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a bummer before when he, he transitions to, to his spot in the front office, yeah. um, <laughs> move on to the Marlin series, which is the current one. Um, we just mentioned a little bit about game two, which is still going on. Now we're recording um, on what is today? Tuesday. It's Tuesday evening. So uh, that game is still in progress, but the one game they have played in this series was not wonderful. Um, Sanchez was pretty bad and the Nats lost eight to two. Um, Let's see, go find his uh, Alcantara on the other hand, went eight innings and completely owns the Nats only gave up three hits. Sanchez went 3.2 innings, gave up eight hits and four runs. Um, only striking out two and issuing three walks. It was pretty ugly. And we were just talking in his last, in the last, about the last series when he started and it was kind of okay. This one was less okay than the previous one. Yeah. He straight up got shelled in the start. I mean, the Marlins were just 
all over him, like hard contact into the gap, hard contact everywhere. Like it, it was pretty ugly to watch. Yes, it was ugly to watch indeed. So, you know, we'll see what happens with this series. What's the, let me look at the. It's the four, it's four nothing in the eighth oh, right now. Brian's back four nothing in the eighth. So we just have to make sure we watch the ninth for the comeback heroics. Yeah. The Marlins are, are never mind. Um, we have second and third, no outs right now. Robles singled, Cesar Hernandez second doubled. Second and third, no outs. So we and will Soto's score up. one Uh-oh. or less. Here we go. Uh oh. Here come the Nats. Don't let them get hot, baby. <laughs> Don't let them get hot. <laughs> Oof. Hottest relative, I suppose. So um, there has been some defense in this series, particularly last night, that I feel like needs to be talked about. <laughs> All right, some base running maybe is even more necessary to talk about. There was the play where Soto, for some reason, ran for third when he shouldn't have and got caught in a pickle, and then they tagged him out, and then Bell's behind him, streaking for second. They throw, and it gets past the second baseman, but he's backed up by somebody right behind him, and Bell apparently doesn't notice that, runs for third, gets thrown out by a mile. So two outs at third base on the same play. Well, Amanda, um, I'm going to need you to get your affairs in order. That was the Mets series. Um, I know the Nats play really good baseball and don't mess up a lot. So there's n- no way for you no to, way not- for me to have remembered that. You're right. That was one that game was, back. It wasn't was yesterday. It was the day ago. before. <laughs> the, one, the one that happened, that was, I think it's better we don't talk about that situation. Um, the one that just happened in the Marlins series was a ground ball to shortstop. Yes that ended up scoring three runs <laughs> that, that one was pretty bad yeah oh my god i didn't see that live like i didn't see it till later on but i got an espn notification about the nats i was like an espn notification about the nats what the hell do they do and it's like nats fans look away washington strings together a brutal comedy of errors allowing marlins to score three in a must-see defensive blunder i was like okay that sounds that's the right. title of the yeah well, <laughs> mm. i feel like that's I, the fifth time this year i hate it at least the fifth time this year we've gone the comedy of errors. Yeah, it, it's bad. We're all over MLB errors this season. Yeah, you're right. And and thank you for correcting me, Ryan. I did mess up my completely ridiculous plays that I can't believe actually happened in real life. Um, yeah, that one was the, the I was watching that happen and I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I actually stopped and like rewound it a couple of times to rewatch it. Like I needed to understand the mechanics of like how did this actually occur. Did this really just happen in real life? And uh, it did. It did. The Nats. It's it's hard because you expect them to be like, okay, our, the lineup's not going to be good. They don't have the pitching. But this kind of stuff is just like, I mean, what are they actually thinking out there? This is bonehead little league kind of errors. And I, I don't understand. These guys may not be the best players in MLB, but they are MLB players. I just don't understand how we're seeing what we're seeing from them. Night in and night out with, are, the, with the air. Are they MLB players? I mean, we may never know. <laughs> the world may never know. So yeah, um, yeah. I just felt like we needed to remark upon that, even though it, it's probably something we should all forget and never speak of again. So we'll move on from that. Um, let's talk about pitching. Strasburg and Ross updates um masson i believe it was masson sports i read an article that they were both uh through again on the 13th which was this past friday um strasburg threw 27 pitches and reached 92 miles an hour so that is super encouraging 
Um, Ross threw 33 pitches and was touching 95. So they're both working their way back. Um, they are supposed to both after that last um, throwing session on the 13th, supposed to be moving into like a regular five day schedule for throwing to get them on a, a track to be back with the big club, probably sometime next month. What do you guys think? Who goes down when they come back? Are they going to stay healthy? What do you expect? Um, I still expect them to come back after the all-star break. I, I, I don't think they're going to come back in June. I think that's a little, a little ambitious, ambiguous, excuse whatever the word is. Um, it's, it's got to be Adon and Sanchez, right? Like Adon's not ready. Sanchez, both inconsistent. Um, look at the fact that Gray, not going anywhere. Patrick Corbin, not going anywhere. Eric Fetty, no options. He's staying. So I feel like that just by default, Adon and Sanchez are the odd man out of the rotation when those two get ready. Yeah, I agree. I, um, it's definitely going to be Adon and Sanchez. Um, I'm more optimistic about Joe Ross coming back earlier than Strauss for obvious reasons, but um, I do think it's going to be more towards the end of June, beginning of July for both of them as well. Um, you know, and it's not like this team like isn't a pennant race or anything and needs help to be called up as soon as possible. I, I really think they're going to take their time with them, and that's the smart thing to do. You know, coming off injuries like each of them have had, um, so I think we're going to probably see them sometime in July. Doesn't it seem weird that they've kind of got them like tied at the hip now? Like why, why is it that they're all, they're on the exact same schedule and they're working through everything together. I mean, they're completely different pitchers on completely, you know, with completely different injuries. It just seems odd to me how every time you hear anything about one, you're hearing the same thing about the other. It's, it's odd. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I've, I've got absolutely no expectations for Strasburg. I have no idea what we're going to see from him. I, I do think. I think this is kind of a make or break it for Ross. Like if he can't come back from this injury through the rest of this year, I mean, maybe he gets another shot next year, but I feel like his career is on the line at this point. He's not been able to stay healthy and, and be a consistent part of this team at all. Yes, I did. And now <laughs> I was just going to keep, I did too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think the team realized they were just both on similar timetables. They're both come back from pretty major injuries so they're like, you know what there's gonna have both of them down in florida doing their thing rehabbing and just having them be on the same schedule makes it a little bit easier from a team standpoint so i mean i don't know it's the nats they do a lot of weird things nothing they do really <laughs> yeah i mean nothing really to add to that i mean nats moment that's all i really have to say um I, what's what was um so strauss was thoracic outlet and then joe ross had the partially torn UCL, right? He had the yeah. partially, yeah, but then he had like a bone spur or something in mind. Yeah, I, think I it was, was about to say, he had something elbow. else too, I thought. Yeah, I believe it was bone spur. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. Her, like, I don't know, loose bodies in the elbow or something. I can't remember the exact, but I know he didn't need another, didn't need another Tommy John. So that's good. All right. So let's talk about Juan Soto. I mean, he's, by the measure, by the measure of regular mortal men, he's been okay. Um, but by his own standards, he's not been very okay. I mean, he's, he's tied for fifth on the team right now with 10 RBIs and he's only hitting 256. 
Um, he does lead the majors with 25 walks, but he's really been expanding the strike zone in a way that is not characteristic for him. Um, I pulled a couple numbers because I know how much Shaq loves numbers. Um, 36.3% of the pitches he's seen in, in this season have been in the zone, which is less than at any other point in his career. I assume if I had to take a guess about why he's expanding the zone in a way he normally doesn't is that he's just frustrated by not seeing much to hit. Um, but he was seeing 41.6 in the zone last year. And I guess the fact that he's not hitting the off-speed very, or the, the stuff around the edges, the off-speed that's, you know, nibbling on the edges of the zone, he's not hitting it as well. So people don't really feel like they have to pitch to him. And of course he has no protection in the lineup, but what are you guys thinking? So it is, this is very, very simple. And I see a lot of like outrageous takes on this on Twitter, which is very on brand for Twitter. It, this has nothing to do with Juan Soto turning down the contract. This is, oh yeah, people were saying that Soto's struggling because he's frustrated because he turned uh, down the contract. Such a dumb take. The worst take I've it's ever seen in my, my life, by the way. My um, dumb take. I, I don't care about RBIs. RBIs are a team set when you're hitting second on the bad team. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a lot of RBIs. Yes, he's struggling with runners in scoring position, but that doesn't matter. Um, his WRC plus is 146. That's fine. When you walk a lot, I keep saying this. I'm going to say it again. Walking a lot impacts you, okay? He's walking a lot. And when you don't see a lot of pitches inside the strike zone, 65% of the pitches he sees are outside the strike zone. When you're consistently seeing pitches outside, you're going to start expanding the strike zone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how good your plate vision is. You are going to start expanding the strike zone. That's just how life works. When you start swinging at pitches outside the strike zone, your swing and miss percentage is going to go up. Your strike, your strikeout percentage is going to go up. Your hard contact percentage is going to come down because if you're swinging at pitches outside the zone, you're not making good contact. That's going to lead to higher soft contact. So Soto isn't making as good of hard contact. His swing and miss is up because he's swinging at pitches outside the zone. Why? Because that's all he's getting. It's very, very basic human nature and very basic statistics. And a lot of people keep having these just absurd stats on it, which kind of irritates me. He has no protection. So you're saying it's the contract is what? It's a hundred percent the contract. He's very frustrated with himself for saying no to that. Has nothing to the fact that almost 70% of the pitches he's seen are outside the strike zone. Yeah. Well, one more thing before we let Tyler comment on this, I wanted to throw one more stat in here, which I thought was interesting. When he is getting pitches in the zone, he's um, getting 83.7% of his contact on pitches in the zone, which is the lowest of his career, which is another interesting thing. I, I feel like maybe the, the, like you said, Ryan, he's seeing so many outside, he's starting to swing at stuff outside and it's maybe affecting his, his contacts yes. on the things he's seeing inside the zone. Yes. Yes. I love stats. Thank you for that. Um, when you are used to seeing pitches outside the zone, it affects your mindset. You know, you're going to sometimes get be caught off guard pitches inside the zone like we've seen Soto like take good pitches on two strikes because he was expecting to be outside the zone we see him swing and miss and be late on pitches he's not walking impacts you and when you're consistently not seeing pitches that hit it completely changes who you are as a hitter and we're seeing that for Soto this is something I brought up last year and we are now seeing the ramifications of it what are your thoughts Tyler yeah I mean 
I echo basically everything Ryan was saying. I mean, we have the numbers on hand, but even just with the eye test, you could tell that Juan is swinging at a lot more pitches out of the zone this year, and that's the result of walking a ton. But, I mean, straight up, people need to stop worrying about Juan Soto. Same thing happened last year when he was hitting all those ground balls. Juan but he Soto, was like, he forgot how to hit the ball in the <laughs> air. And Juan was- Soto is going to be fine. I mean, he's off to a better start this year than he was last year. I mean, you can pull up his, you know, oh, he's two for 26 with runners in scoring position this year. Whatever, honestly. Okay, whatever. He's seen the ball better than he was last year. But, you know, like Ryan was saying, with all the walks and lack of protection, he's getting frustrated. And, you know, also being on a team this bad is also going to frustrate him to the point where he's going to try to put the team on his back and, as a result, swing at these pitches, try to make contact with these pitches, just trying to get something going when you're on a team that is like this dog shit and he feels like that he needs to be the catalyst for it. But I mean, I am not worried about Soto whatsoever. And I never have been, I mean, you know, you can cite his low batting average, you know, again, the runners and scoring position numbers, but I mean, the guy's going to be fine. I mean, and we all know who he is like, so I, I really don't think it's anything to bat an eye at, you know, Hopefully he can adjust, um, you know, and kind of realize that he's swinging outside the strike zone more. I think I just read an article this morning or yesterday, whenever it is, that he recognizes that he's swinging at more pitches out of the zone and realizes that he has to go back to, you know, who he's always been as a hitter, which is spitting on basically every pitch that just misses the zone. Um, but yeah, he's going to be fine and he's going to put up another absurd season. And I think all the panic about it is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, so, actually, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Um, I was gonna say two important stats to help back up Tyler's point. He's a 146 WRC plus, he is 46% better than the league average hitter, and his WOBA is 383. Great is considered 370. He's fine. Like, there's yeah, he's not doing like the you know incredible things like oh, he's hitting like 400 and his on base is 600. He's still having a fine season. Um, but I do and think it's only May 17th when we're recording this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Once once the calendar gets to June, mid-June, then you can start getting concerned about guys. Yeah. yeah I agree and- with that. Everybody freaked out last year and he turned out to have a terrific season where everybody was talking about, you know, potential MVP, which he did not end yeah. up winning, but he was in the conversation. So his, I, I'm his also power is not- here this year too. Like, you know, last year he had, it, it took him until like, I think June to get his first home run at Matt's park. And he already has what, seven, eight home runs this year. I mean, the, the power is actually here for him this time. And, you know, that's the difference compared to last year with all the ground balls. It, it's really just about adjusting back into the hitter. He was, you know, his, with his eye and his ability to, swing it strikes and then take pitches outside the zone. And I think it's uh, people are looking at his performance in a vacuum as if being on a completely shitty team with no protection in the lineup doesn't make an enormous difference. I mean, you put this guy in a, a really good lineup and his numbers would be ridiculous because what he's doing, he would be seeing so many pitches out of the zone. If he had anybody hitting yeah. behind him that anybody yeah. was afraid. If of. he was in the Dodgers lineup, nobody would be talking about wants that of struggling. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I think Soto is definitely not looking Soto-esque right now, but we're only like six weeks into the season, maybe seven, I have to do the math. Um, you know, all of the caveats apply for it's cold, it's early, blah, blah, blah. He's going to be just fine. And uh, I had not heard any of the stuff people were saying about the contract. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. 
All right. Before we finish this episode, we're going to end it the way we always do with our one big thing. Who wants to go first? I'll get a start here. Um, there is a lot of great baseball going on. Watch it. Watch the Angels. The Angels are a great show on turf right now. Mike Trout's doing unreal things. Otani's an absolute freak. Watch other baseball. Um, and I'm not saying that you should watch the illegal streams. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But yeah, there's so many great things happening in baseball right now. There's so many great storylines. You know, it just took just took until now for everyone in the NLS to not be above 500. Like, there's great things happening. Watch, watch baseball outside what what we're seeing in DC because it's not. If very you like good. baseball, Washington isn't really the thing you want to watch right now because it's not good baseball. I mean, watch it. I'm not saying don't watch the Nats, but if you want some good baseball, you might have to go a little further afield. What do you yeah. got, Ryan? Or uh, Tyler, I mean, we already got Ryan. <laughs> You're good. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to actually say something somewhere. I've been watching other baseball and other teams more than the Nats this season, and I'm perfectly fine with keeping it that way. Um, Ryan mentioned the Angels. Um, I've been watching the Dodgers a lot uh, this season as my fix for good baseball. Um, I enjoy watching them. Obviously, you know, not just because of Trey Turner, but, you know, their, their lineup is just so fun to watch. And I, I just love watching, you know, good baseball, good matchups. I mean, it, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, well, I can't argue with that. Um, all right. Well, my one big thing is a little bit uh, more specific, which is the Red Sox got completely destroyed. Um, was this yesterday? I think it was yesterday. And one fan caught two or was it two home runs in the same inning. Can you imagine that? The same guy sitting in the green monster stands caught two home runs in the same inning. It's all happening. I think this was just posted. I'm just like following it along because I've been sort of watching the games tick by as we've been recording here tonight. But the uh, five home runs in one inning from the Astros and one fan caught two of them sitting above the green monster. So that might be the coolest thing I've seen in baseball in quite some time. So you should yeah. go out and find that clip because you guys will wanted... be listening to this tomorrow. <laughs> I was to add one more thing, the big thing, just so I don't completely copy Ryan. Uh, what's wrong with the Red Sox? Why? They're bad. I'm like... so glad you said this. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to toot, toot my own horn. In our series season predictions, I was the only one who said that they weren't making the playoffs. My buddy is a diehard Red Sox fan, Boston, everything. And I kept telling him that the Red Sox suck, that their lineup is going to regress, and that their pitching is absolutely terrible, and the lineup cannot cover it up. Oh, their pitching sucks. Yeah. Look what. This was Eovaldi this evening who gave up five home runs. Yeah, their, their pitching's dog shit. Like, they have Rich Hill in it. Like, come on. Despite a great nickname, not a great pitcher at this yeah. point in his career. I forgot yeah. how bad their pitching was. So I, I guess I answered my own question. But like, I mean, the Red Sox are just so weird because they go from winning the World Series to missing the playoffs to making it back to the ALCS to missing the playoffs and being dog again. I mean, they're just such an odd franchise. I mean, it's it's like you never really know what you're gonna get year to year with them. I know they they ha always have a tendency to like reset it really quickly for one year. And then they automatically like go right back to the world series. The only bad thing for them is like, they were trying to win this year, 
But teams that you expect to be good suck means better deadline because Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers are probably going to be shopped, and that will be very that fun. That will be fun. I think we should um, tag them with the, the phrase we came up with for the Nats. We'll call it hashtag weird ass. Is... Uh, they're definitely a weird ass ass for whatever we said <laughs> or whatever whatever all right you guys got anything else before we get out of here uh go whatever team is playing the nats because i want that number one draft pick oh come on now <laughs> um yeah i, I still like want the nats to win i can't quite fight through my homer instincts i like i mean i this is like me i'm fine with them beating divisional rivals just because it's funny to troll them and just saying, oh, my God, you just lost a game to this team. But everyone else, I mean, please beat the living shit out of this team. I'm begging you. It's like the SpongeBob meme with Squidward in the bat. Like, please hit me as hard as you can, like, type situation. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know if I can completely agree on that one, but <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you guys all for listening. We really appreciate it. As always, um, you check us out on Twitter. I am at a white seven, eight, seven, seven. You can find Ryan at we are all shack and Tyler at non roster invite. Make sure you follow the show at half street, high heat and the website at half street, high heat.com. And of course the YouTube channel where there's always good and fun videos for you to check out. Make sure you subscribe over there. Thanks for coming on guys. Have a good night. We'll talk soon. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go nats we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.